Hello, you're listening to the Advanced Financial Planner, brought to you by the Institute of Advanced Financial Planning and your host, David Miller. On today's episode, we will be interviewing Russell Todd on his history as a financial planner in Canada and what advanced financial planning means to him. We are here with the Russell Todd, the financial mentor, retired uh, financial planner with the Institute of Advanced Financial Planners. Uh, he has joined me today to discuss a little bit about himself and his history. How are you doing, Russell? Not so bad. Another good day. <laughs> Another day. Um, we're both here in Calgary, and obviously, we're going to be sending this out to the nation. Uh, the Nation of Financial Planners, and I figured there is no better inaugural person to talk to than you, uh, because as your title suggests, as the financial mentor, you also helped me get into the business uh, and join the IAFP. Uh, again, thank you very much for joining. Not a problem. So maybe just start off by telling me a little bit about your history. Uh, how and why did you become a financial planner in the first place? Well, really... More luck than good planning, really, because it's the evolution of how the process worked. I originally graduated with an economics degree from back in the uh, early, late, or in the 70s. And from there, I, I started off as a CA in articling, and I rapidly moved on from that to working in the trust industry for 14 years. And I think that's where I gained the basis for understanding the world of finance, because my first job there, which was seven years of it, was settling estates. And I saw how people's financials were all over the board and how the survivors never knew what the deceased had done with his money. And sometimes they're quite angry to discover that the guy was sitting on the money and telling them they never had any. And then they discovered they did have money. So that was an eye opener right off the bat. So doing that for seven years, I gained a natural kind of an affinity toward people figuring out their financing, which I really thought was a lot of fun. And then after a while, and all my uh, widows began to look the same, I moved on to pension trust, which was a five-year stint where you're working up the life chain one more step when you're managing the pension assets for, for employees. And I learned from that side, where I was very lucky, again, to learn about how the estate and the investment side work, because in that process, while I was managing pension assets with sponsors, I was working directly with investment people on how those pension funds got invested. So I learned about DB and DC and pension payment systems. It was always very interesting to learn that process. And so that gave me the basis for it. It was during that late years that I met a guy named Len Raby. Now, most of you won't know him, but he was an old original. Back when the IAFP was in its founding stage, he was one of the guys who helped put it all together, and him and a few other guys. So I got involved with, he said, you need to go down this road. You need to become a financial planner. So I never forgot that. And in in the early days, I even helped teach some courses with some other guys on how to write financial plans. It was kind of the key part of, in those days, it was tough, and it still is tough. You had to take a a day-long testing process, and then you had to write a comprehensive financial plan. And to this day, most of our current associates learning and wanting to become RFPs, their single biggest struggle is writing a comprehensive financial plan. Yeah, absolutely. So that's where I kind of got into it because after I left Royal 
trust in the uh, 80, 80, mid 80s. Yeah, why did I you leave the Royal Trust? Well, the empire was falling apart. That was the same time <laughs> the Royal Trust was going downhill. The Royal Bank had taken over. Xerox people were involved. And it was it was going downhill. And so it got taken out. It was I thought there was a center of the universe. But when I left it, I discovered that, you know what? The whole world didn't know about trust industry. They didn't mm. even understand it. So I was starting then. I started 10 years after I left Royal. I was at the age of my life. I wanted to try some business ventures. So I went off and started a couple of companies. I built some buildings. I ran some companies. But during that time, I also started my first unincorporated financial planning work. Right. Because it, it kind of spun off from my after I left Royal. I was with Buck Consultants for a while, and they were benefits consultants. And I got involved with company savings plans and writing text for those plans for people who were involved in company savings plans, how to save and participate in those plans. And I learned that most people learn differently when you try to teach them about how to invest. So I got background there, which led into my consulting practice. So when I finally decided I'm going to move on and go full time, I incorporated a company, started my first financial planning firm in the early 90s, mm -hmm. and proceeded to get my designation. So in 97, 96, I got my chartered financial planner process. In 77, 97, I got my CFP and RFPs because I thought those were the two that mattered. I okay, so you got them in succession. Yeah, basically very quickly. I, it was then that I discovered I, the real value with the RFP is the comprehensive financial planning. Yeah, something so, the CFP really doesn't push. No, the, in those days, for better, for worse, CFP was kind of a designation associated with guys selling insurance. Hmm. They weren't they weren't really as much focused as a, what the RFP was. The Institute was on comprehensive financial planning. We weren't stressing at that point the need to be a professional. We were saying, you know, we, we were talking about being professional and being objective and things like that. And there was some talk about fiduciary. And to this day, that's not yet been refined. We weren't treated, we weren't designated or understood by the people, the public does not really understand what a RFP is. Yeah, they don't know the difference. They, they see an alphabet soup these days. So every time someone sets up another new designation, they just confuse the public. Yeah. So we spend our first part of our practice saying, what are we? What do we do? And why would you deal with us? So it's an edu that education to this day is still needed. Why would you become, why would you work with a real planner? Amazing enough, when I started advertising, it was less than a third of a page in the yellow pages of financial planners. And I just happened to use the words unbiased in my tagline. That got me more inquiries than anything else because people said, I just want someone to give me the straight story. Yeah. That's all I want. Everybody who was, they were going to that they thought were planners were product sellers. And so when the use of the word unbiased got me inquiries. And that was the same time in that 10 or 11 years period that because I knew so much about the this part of the business, I met up with a guy named Graydon Waters from down east. And I taught we, uh, workshops and seminars across Canada for corporations who needed unbiased instructors who weren't going to push product side. And from that got me clients galore because after the workshops were over and there were two and three day workshops, people would call me up and said, can you help me with my personal financials? And I did a lot of re retirement planning. It was kind of my strong suit. That's why I did most of my work was people in their 40s to 50s 
we're approaching retirement. And they would call me up and they always wanted a plan. And so that, you know, that was just luck that you landed that with Greg, that you knew him in the past? Well, I just happened to read his first book. I, you know, I saw this. He put out a, a great book right. in those days. Yeah, so you reached out so to him. I, yeah, I looked up his name and said, you know, I like your book. If you need help in Western Canada, he was dying for people to work with. Mm. He had nobody to teach across the, to do the workshops. He was he was doing them all and killing himself. So there was three or four of us over time that worked with him for I taught 11 or 12 years of courses from coast to coast, including courses in the Northwest Territories. On, you know, And in Houston, I went all over teaching those courses. And from that, I learned that the subject matter the need for financial education. Clients just need to help someone educate them as well as help them. And so you enjoyed the group setting versus the one-on-one more or what made you gravitate towards the teaching? I just did both. I, it was just fun. He okay. needed somebody and I didn't mind doing. I always had no problem doing the stand-up process of it. But it was intensive. It was intensive and it was medically ch- mentally challenging because I did a one-day course on financial self-management skills for people in their 40s. And those in their 50s often took the two-day course. The military bases actually took a three-day course that was just too hard on the feet toward the end. I just did me in. But most of the courses we did were two days long, and there were people approaching retirement who needed to make decisions on their life and their money and understand it. And all you had in those two days was to get them from where they were of a state of fear to a state where they knew what they had to do to transition. And that's why I ended up specializing in retirement planning because I found it was a natural client fit for me. Right. And to this so you, day, I still love it. So you convinced them through the seminars to um, do the one-on-one afterwards. I never I never sought them out. They, they sought me out. I never, never ever approached them because that was part of their contract work. We could never offer services or products, hmm. but... They would they always had my card and they would call me up. They would find me on the Internet and they would say, could you help me? So I was very careful to do it all that way. And as a result, I got many good clients over the years because I understood how pension plans really worked. And these were federal plans. These were plans in Ontario. I did a lot of work in Ontario. Those times I lived in Ontario for weeks on end, going from department to department on downsizings, right sizings, and regular courses. When they, when corporations discovered that their employees wanted to take these courses, we had to limit the registration. But when I was keeping records, I taught more than 5,000 people wow. on just this course. And that's 25 people at a time. So guess how many seminars and workshops Yeah. A lot of corporations, when money got tight, they'd only buy a half-day special. So you give the quick and dirty or downsizing to right-sizing. But like when the mergers of uh, wheat wheat, wheat uh, companies, grain companies, I would go across the country on pension conversions and downsizing and right-sizing to get people to buy into whatever the company was trying to do because they couldn't convince them otherwise. My job was to educate them so they can make good decisions. To this day, it's the fun part of my life doing that. And that's to this day why right. I now I'm, I'm doing some webinars just because I can do it. Right. Easy. And so obviously there's been a lot of twists and turns in your career from um, the early days in the pension and trust where you're learning about the industry, just trying to be an entrepreneur. Um, what happened to those companies, by the way, just quickly? Which ones? My yeah. company? <laughs> <laughs> How many did I have? I probably had five or six companies. <laughs> so, 
some failures in there, which I'd love to dive into a little bit. But um, what would you say the biggest thing is that helped you along in your career to be successful? I'd say the biggest success for you was the group pension uh, seminars. And that's the thing you enjoyed the most? Uh, Helped along my career become successful, I think, was was mostly just letting know people that I was unbiased. Most of my clientele, I never advertised. Yeah, so it was Yellow Pages. You do yellow back when yellow pages were in. Now there's yeah. 10, if you still get a paper yellow page, you'd know there's 10 pages of people claiming to be financial planners, but they're not. Yeah. So I found that word of mouth, you did one good job for one client, he told another, and another told another. So all my advertising is very simple. I, got, I took a basically a business card format, made it into a, a card that you could drop off at a law office or an accounting office or a legal firm, and they'd hand them out. It was never a problem of getting the success part of the become successful. It was just being unbiased and willingness to help. Right. I found that you help somebody, they tell 12 friends. <laughs> it's amazing how that works, right? Isn't that amazing? How you, if you offer to work hard, you get some results. Yeah. Absolutely. And we touched a little bit on why you joined the IFP. It sounds like Len was uh, one of the integral parts to you understanding what the IAFP was. And uh, you obviously joined almost at the same time as doing your CFP. Um, why are you still active in the IAFP today? And why is it important to you? Well, I think that I chose the IFP as my primary uh, designation degree because of their high standards. The, the, the advanced financial planning process, the unbiased approach, the being comprehensive planning, to this day, that's important to me. I always say that the RFP means, in my words, real financial planner. But I get that some of our planners are both you know, compensated for the work they do, and some take fee-based. It's your, your personal preference. I chose to go down the fee plan. But I think that even though we're a small group, we have a high standard, and we represent what the industry is and should be, a professional planner's. That's why to me, to me it's, that's the number one reason why I stay active on them. Even though I'm retired as a planner from the full status, that's why I chose to mentor others because there's not enough real financial planners on the street. Yeah, I met you and you were already retired, right? You and yeah, you that convinced was my first me. Retirement. Yeah, and we <laughs> met in a little coffee shop um, after Tim Font, yeah. uh, who sadly passed away from uh, uh, last year, I think was. Um, yeah. Yeah, we met because of him and you convinced me to join right away and um, I haven't looked back. So I really appreciate that. Uh, Maybe take me through a day in the life of a retired financial planner. What are you up to today other than maybe golfing quite a bit? Well, I I retired several times. I actually retired in 2011 roughly when I sold my active planning practice. I Mm. thought I was going to retire. So I sold it to the Doherty Bryant guys. Right. And I decided I really didn't want to retire. So I brought another company back off the shelf and I did another five or six years of wealth management oversight and mentoring clients and people. And then I found that company up two, three years ago when I wound up another company on the projects I had. So what do I do as a retired financial planner? Unfortunately, it's like organized crime. You never quite get out of it. You know, they drag you back in. Well, I'm people dragging you back in right here. Say, I talked to you 10 years ago. So-and-so says you should help me. So what I'm doing now is a subtle difference. I have a great amount of knowledge and I provide some advice, but my prob- my primary role now is to 
take these calls because I got Tim Font's uh, website as I helped mm-hmm. him passing away. And the website's still very good. So what I people will call me up and I'll do a needs analysis on them and say, you know what, you need this kind of help. And then I will introduce them to financial planners, investment counselors, investment managers, estate lawyers, whoever I think there's a greatest need for. I don't really want to do the work anymore. Right. I do want to help people meet the right kind of people. And my job is to know what investment counselors do, what the investment firms do, where's the economical advisor services around. And I just find that fun. So I yeah, basically, and you're staying unbiased, right? Yes, and I and that's my whole idea. I take no compensation from the firms I refer hmm. and, and make introductions to. My only fee is still a fee-based charge to clients to do the analysis and make the introductions because if you make a referral, they don't act on it. You make an introduction, you make sure something gets yeah. done. And I speak the language of the industry. So I know what words to say to the firms of what these clients really need. And I make sure that I only introduce them to more. My basic has always been the same. Give them at least two choices of firms and let them pick. And that drives some people crazy because they just want me to tell them what to do. Right. That's not the way to go. Right. So I, I find that I, I right now I've got three or four projects on the go where I'm uh, arranging uh investment counselor appointments, a guy who's transitioning from a business ownership situation who has to go somewhere. I've got a corporate executor, executive that is going through life change and just needs to get straightened around and sent in the right direction. So yeah, set them on motion and have fun. There are countless people out there that just are looking for help and they yeah. don't know where to turn to. And obviously, you are one of the best resources out there. And that website that Tim set up, um, what was it called again? Calgary Financial Planner.ca. He had it absolutely right. The perfect words are what most people use when searching for a planner. Financial Planner Calgary. And in every city, it's the same way. You just watch, you find those URLs. (laughs) It works like a charm. You don't have to make it exotic. It's self-explanatory. He had the essence of the whole thing. And I met him. Years ago, when he left TE and he was working with Doherty and Brian, and I mentored him a bit in the last parts of his life and helped his wife, you know, take care yeah. of cleaning up some of his business affairs. And I thought that was something I could do for them. Yeah. And so that's keeping you busy. Yeah. And I'm trying to wind this down now again because I've realized as good as that is, I think I need to pass that, you know, website on to someone else who's more active because now I'm making more referrals and everybody. That I'm making referrals to is backed up on workload. Everybody's in the same boat, but I don't really want to work more than three days a week and I don't want to work that much, but I do like to continue mentoring. And I do think that the industry is a, a hoot to be around. Yeah. And it's fun to watch the growth of the professional planning movement. And that's what one of the keys I want to s- stress on right now is you're finding it to be very difficult to refer to unbiased advisors in Calgary because they're too busy. Yeah. Everybody's got to say, I say, I tell everybody what I don't expect that these people are going to address your problem tomorrow. They may be stacked up on three or four projects. And to be fair, you've got to do your part first. You've got to provide the information they need so they can get on with it. But the onus is on them as well, but the problems didn't come out overnight. And the hard part in planning is to be both a, You've got to make advice that's actionable. 
Mm-hmm. You've got to know what your niche is, and you've got to know that, sure, you've got to give choices, but no use giving advice that you know that clients are not capable of doing, and that's behavioral finance stuff. Yeah, so absolutely. you kind of got to say, give them one or two things they can achieve this year, and then be their coach and mentor for the next two things, and over time, solve their problems. Clients need ongoing relationships, and that's what I think a professional planner can best do recognize that you've got to give them actionable work today, starting from your knowledge. They don't want your knowledge. They want your insight. You take that insight. You can turn that insight to an action plan that they can work on. And this is you great advice, is, Russell. It, you know, one person can only, your mind can only cope with what? Three things at once. Yeah. So don't give them five choices. Give them three, one short-term, one midterm, one long-term goal and help them get them done. And you've got a friend for life. Yeah. So what would you Sorry, what would the best advice for new planners coming up who are maybe just entering the industry? I know the the IFP, we do the student competition, for example. If you're talking to them, what is your best advice uh, for them to start the entrepreneurial trip? Uh, Where would you send them? What would you do? Uh, I think if one's starting out, they've got to think about it before they start. Most of them try to hit the street running because they're emotionally wired. But they have to think about what do they really want to do? And then are they best off being an entrepreneur or should they join another firm that's already in play? Should they get their, cut their teeth and learn by working with somebody else? And everybody has to make that choice. Not everybody should be an entrepreneur because it's not for everyone. But there's so many planning firms looking for help. If you can find a firm that's like-minded to your goals and objectives, join them, work with them. And, you know, you might find out that you're just moving into a firm that guy wants to retire too, and you'll end up owning that firm without having to build it again. Do you buy a working model or do you build? It's harder to build from scratch. It's easier to work for somebody. But line, know what your niche is, know what what you want to do, and go work for a firm like that. That's the hard part. That's why I say anybody who's getting ready to get in the business, interview as many firms as you can but interview them with the thought of, are they aligned with what I want to do? Yeah. So as a person who started five different businesses, you're not telling uh, these students coming right out of school to jump into the water, but to actually get with a firm who has the experience to build up your experience because obviously you need work experience to even get your CFP, for example. Yes. uh, Yes, absolutely. And that way you can leverage their knowledge. Some people want to work on their own. I mean, that's their natural bias, but I said, you won't make a ton of money right off the bat. But if you need to make regular cash flow, then you're better off being an employee and learning from somebody who actually knows something. You know, if you want to understand how to build a practice, it's an old book, George Hartman's book that he brought out in the 90s or whatever called Blunder, Wonder, Thunder. That's a basically a practice management design book. 101 right. and nobody ever reads it. Right. Classic. Well, we'll sure to be uh, putting a link into the show notes here, but... Um, from a planning perspective, uh, maybe one idea that I just thought of is you're really good at referring clients to prospective uh, investment firms because you know what these investment firms are like. Are you referring uh, planners or paraplanners to investment firms or uh, retirement planning firms as well? I have been, yes. Uh, one, of my, one of my last mentored students is who I went with a big firm that was desperate to get someone on staff and it worked out very well for that person. Uh, and after being 
you know, uh, contract consulting, a contract worker for one of the major banks. Now she has a nice career where she's drowning in planning work and loves it. Now you're tired and you're trying to get out of this, but if somebody wants to reach out to you um, and take up your time to try and find a position, as I just alluded to, sure. are you willing to talk to these prospective yes, planners? absolutely. I had an inquiry last week from uh, some of the principals behind a big uh, modeling software firm saying, we got some guy in BC who needs help getting started. Would you talk to him, even though he's not an RFP? And I said, sure. And I did in the guy down in Eastern Canada two weeks ago, the same way. They they just wanted to know, what can I shed light on? And that's mm-hmm. what I think part of the fun being a mentor is I've got 30 years of history in all kinds of industries. Yeah, I may not have all the answers, but at least I can say you should look at this and that. Just give them something to think about. Absolutely. Great advice there, Russell. Um, anything else you'd like to bring up? Uh, I think the hard part in our business is we all tend to rush to solutions. I tell people in planning the best way to work is listen. Listen to what the client or your prospective client is asking about. Find out what they're where they're coming from. The more you hear what they're they're looking for, the better you can help them. Because that helps right up front decide, are they my kind of client? If you listen, you can say, no, they're not my kind of client, but at least you'll win brownie points by saying, you know, I can't help you, but here's someone who can and send them on their way and keep working toward working with clients. Because if you're going to do this on your own or even with a firm, everything in this business to be successful and to make money, you got to charge for the service you provide. That's your value add. So you don't give away the solution until you know what the case is. So build a process to do your practice so that your practice doesn't become you. You know, so that you can have a balance in your own life. You have to learn when to say no and you don't take client calls after seven in the evening. You know, if you act like a professional, mm-hmm. if you act like a professional, you'll be treated as professional. And then you can charge professional fees. Too many beginners start out way too low on pricing. Right. And they, they under, under, they underperform on their own practice. Yeah, we so undervalue treat it ourselves. As, treat it as yeah. a business. You know, it's yeah. the old e-myth books and all those basics. It's true. Build a process, build a practice, and they will come. It really is true. Well, I love yeah. this advice there, Russell. I want to thank you for your time today. Uh, thank you for your service to the AFP. Thank you for helping me along my career. Uh, you've been wonderful, Russell. Um all the best for you in the future in the retirement. Um, this next phase of your life, what, what's next do you see? Well, I'm going to keep golfing in the summer, skiing in the winter, hanging out with grandkids, doing photography, yard work, whatever catches my fancy. I just bounce along. I'd like to ski the rest of my life. I'd like to golf. I'm never going to get any better at it, but at least it gets me out of the, <laughs> out of the house once in a while. And just realizing that, you know, you got to live in the moment because you never know when the game's over. Live as best, be as healthy as you can. The old balance in life is the same as the balance in investments. It does work. That's great. That's what I hope. I hope for everybody that you know they they consider mentoring others. If you get mentored, mentor someone else. Pass it along and build a practice, build an industry because we have such a need for good professional planners and support staff. It's a great business we're in. All right. Well, thank you very much, Russell. Uh, we're going to leave it there. Okay. Take care. All right. This episode was brought to you by the Institute of Advanced Financial Planners, home of the most respected planners in Canada, and your host, David Miller. Thank you for listening. 
For more information about the IFP, becoming a registered financial planner, or how to take your financial planning practice to the next level, please visit www.iafp.ca. Don't miss another episode. Remember to turn notifications on when you subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts.